Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it's a privilege to be able to reach out to my congregation here in Dallas and those who call this this place their home, wherever they may live. And uh, also, greetings to all of our Saints Network family that is uh, so faithfully serving the Lord in many cities across our nation and in many other nations of the world. All that being said, hello everybody, and it's a great privilege to be able to be together again to look at the Word. Our study today is going to come solely from Matthew chapter 5, and it is going to be um, an extended passage beginning at verse 1 through verse 16. While you're accessing that, I want to make just a couple of announcements. Number one, uh, our Sunday morning uh, offering here uh, of ministries is going to be adjusted back more to a normalcy than what we've been enjoying together since March. And be that uh, established that our Sunday school class is moving back to the youth room. It will start at 9 in the morning as usual, but it will not be video. So it will be audio, and uh, then our service on Sunday from the sanctuary will be again at 10.30. So um, please make note of those. I hope that doesn't throw anybody for a loop, but if it does, God can heal you. Also, this coming Saturday, we'll be reaching out again to our brothers and sisters, the pastors and leaders in Brazil. And I would ask for your prayers. This has been a, a rousing success in the, uh, the aspect of being able to feed those that are hungry for the things of the Lord, those who want to learn more about what it means to be a, a saint and an intercessor. And we need to continue to bathe this outreach in prayer. So I'm just asking for you to pray for me and for the technology, for Yowali, and for all of those that will be gathering together this Saturday. All right, as I suggested earlier, we are going to be looking at what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Well, actually, no, it's not known as that. Forgive me. It is the, the Beatitudes. And I suspect that the two major most well-known passages in the New Testament other than John 3.16 are the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes. Today we look at the Beatitudes and we're, we're calling this message blessed because, um, because that's the theme of what the Beatitudes are. In verse 1 says, seeing the multitudes he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men will revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We have studied this on so many occasions, and I am not going to go back through a detailed parsing of all the words. That's available for you. In fact, you can study it on your own. But Jesus repeats the refrain, blessed. He did not use eulogia. He did not use eucharistia. He used makarios. Makarios. And this was a term that was well known through the Hellenistic society. In fact, they had a mythical island known as Makara or Makarios. It, it's just that the fact that this word was used to describe a myth, mythical island that was an island filled with contentment and um, happiness, fulfillment. In some ways, perhaps it was akin to what paradise is associated as being. And the idea was that people who lived there were not troubled by the concerns of life because they had an assurity that everything was provided for them. And um, I, I'm so thankful for the fact that Jesus chose this term because, again, if he had chosen eulogia, he would have been talking about your commitment to the good purpose of God, which is a great thing. If he talked about Eucharistia, he would have been talking about moving upward and forward in the progression of grace. That's also a wonderful thing. But he chose this word to say, you all need to be living as if you're on a mission that your contentment is in God, who is eternal. Your home is in heaven. You are here on this earth to fulfill the will of the Father. And that's your chief concern. This earth is not an end-all. And if you invest yourself in it, you're going to miss the vitality of what you're really here for. And you certainly will not be moving in the things of the Spirit. So all of these blesseds are makarios. And um, I, I believe Jesus said this, of course, for a definitive purpose. And that is to set the stage of reminding us that we are in this world, but not of it. Here are ways to, to function if you are really and truly following after what the kingdom requires and recognizing that you're here for a short while and that you are um, you are serving your father which is an eternal prospect you know I don't want to sound morbid but you know I'm I'm 60 two years old now 
And um, I remember various times in my life where I would look at people who were leaders or look at people who were famous in some way or I would watch films, study history, and I, I, I would make assessments of things. And um, I look back now and I think most of those people in my past that I looked up to or were individuals in, um, in prayer, uh, prayer pursuits uh, that were, um, you know, giants of the faith, they're all dead. I, sometimes I watch a movie and I, I, it dawned on me the other day, Katie and I were watching a, an older movie. It was an old black and white movie. And I, it dawned on me, all these people are dead. They were the apex of Hollywood. They, they were able to move public opinion. They, they were heralded as the very top of their field. And that went away quickly. I recognize that, uh, you know, Katie, again, has been doing a lot of things on our family history. It's kind of fun because basically we knew nothing about our family tree going back through the 1700s. So she every now and then contacts a far distant cousins and they, they provide information and pictures. And I was looking and seeing photos of, you know, my grandmother's brother who I didn't even know existed. And, you know, I, I was looking at some of the uh, people that were in my family tree that were uncles and aunts, and uh, they're all dead. They're all gone. And it really makes you recognize that we are, um, I, I, we're on this earth for a short time and um, we we must recognize that and live like we know it um, it's uh, it's very interesting um, it's very interesting and again that sounds like you're morbid or you know and I, I sometimes think man I'm I'm this age and I don't feel old at all. I feel like Caleb, you know. I feel as strong as I ever was. I <laughs> have energy. I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord. But my goodness, where have the years gone? You know, when I was a teenager and was able to go out and play sports all day long or go and work and then go out at night and stay out until one or two and then get up at six and start all over again you know where are all those days where, where are all those things they're gone and you know as soon as no matter what age you are as soon as you realize the the fact that stares you right in the face that we're on this earth for a brief moment and we must serve our father 
and Jesus teaches these Beatitudes and he begins every one of them with Makarios which says you be content you be happy in the Lord you keep a perspective that and Jesus was well aware of how this word was used in the Hellenistic society you recognize that you are you have a home in in heaven that is filled with the delights of the Lord and uh, you 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 have an eternal life start living that way and so he goes through he goes through the prospect of of so many things um and again we've studied these we've put them uh in in specific order we've talked about the different words but you know the essence of it is is that it begins by saying makarios you who are poor in spirit yours is the kingdom of heaven and you know he he speaks again about the kingdom of heaven in verse 10 and he says makarios when you're persecuted for the for the righteous vision god has given you for yours is the kingdom of heaven you know so we 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 are citizens of heaven and we we must recognize that we have need of our god we are poor in spirit our spirit keeps searching for what god would provide and what god would give to us so that we can serve him that's our sustenance and when we receive that and we receive vision you're going to you're going to feel opposition but those two those two quotients are entry points into the kingdom of heaven Blessed are they that mourn, they will be comforted. And that really is a burden because comforted is, is, um, is a word that we've all studied. It's pericaleo, which means that we're ready to move according to the calling of God. Uh, so when we receive the burden of the Lord, we're makarios. And we press that burden through in order to be um, in those that are called according to the Spirit. Um, blessed are the meek, those that are not weak, but are controlling their strengths and their capacities in the service of God. They're going to inherit the earth. This is covenant authority for the earth. Blessed are those, Makarios are those which hunger and thirst after righteous partnership with God in vision. They're going to be filled satiated they're going to be um, overflowing with the satisfaction of what God provides and um, blessed are the merciful they are going to obtain mercy we, we've studied what mercy truly is in the scripture it really has its beginning and its fulfillment through commune with God you know Moses again we've said this before many times did not go to the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies to pour out all of his laundry lists. He went there to meet with God and the cherubims at that Ark of the Covenant so that he could gain direction from God as to what he and the people should do and what they should not do. That is mercy and that is the greatest form of provision 
that you can have in any part of your existence to commune with God and to be partner with him. And that that hunger and thirst and that merciful pursuit is going to allow you to continue to flow in that. And I've learned this. If you step away, and I'm not talking about for a day or so, but if you, by, by purpose of your own weariness or laziness or disinterest or doubts, you step away from God, you're, you're going to see that stream of mercy commune interrupted. Now hear me, I am not saying God doesn't love you. I'm not saying you won't sense the presence of God. I'm not saying that you come out from under his covering. I'm not saying any of those things. The subject is mercy. And if you step away, you're going to start feeling um, disjointed from the ongoing progression of the Lord, which is why we tell our people, stay with the program. Don't go AWOL. Focus on what God is teaching. It's like, you know, if if you miss a briefing or if you if you're in a particular class in school and you just don't bother to go for a week, how do you expect to atone for those classes you missed? Do you think everybody's going to stop down and say, "Oh, you poor thing. Come on, let's just suspend everything so that you can catch up." Now there may be someone who will tutor you in that way. But if you step away from the flow pattern of partnership in mercy, it's going to be very difficult for you to stay current. And, you know, the Lord said things like this. He said, you know, the Bible says those who um, put their hand to the plow and turn back, God's not going to have pleasure in that. And, And there are other passages that speak about that. We don't want to hear them because we think God is just this, this big easy chair in heaven and that we're just he's just here to serve us no he provides for us but we're here to serve him and partner with him so makarios merciful ones and you will continue to, to obtain mercy the pure in heart this is our old friend katharos and that means you make sure that your mind and your spirit and your emotions and the intake of insights and discussions that you get are all focalized into a heart that's going to seek after God and is not wavering. And so you keep all those channels pure and open. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. This is a key to commune with God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're the children of God. And peacemaker here is somebody that doesn't just go and negotiate. Um, this is somebody that wants to see resolution. And not, not an abridged resolution, not a watered-down resolution, not a go-along-to-get-along resolution, but God's resolution. And this is who the children of God are to be. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. I talked about that earlier. Blessed are you when men revile and persecute you, 
and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. We talked about the spinning around uh, and the chul of the Lord, the connection with the Old Testament. Great is your reward in heaven. Remember that they persecuted the prophets who went before you. This falsity, the accuser of the brethren, is gaining momentum. The strong delusion that people are being permitted by God to go after is wicked. And I I would dare say I'm not inviting this, I'm not prophesying it, but if, if you are really serving God as a saint, you're going to face opposition. Why? Not as a badge of honor. Oh, woe is me. The enemy's just batting after me all week because I'm such a wonderful person. No, I'm not saying that. You are pressing the light into the darkness. And the darkness is trying to comprehend. The darkness is trying to withstand people who are part of that darkness are going to accuse you try to defame you try to discredit you you know i know this is a dated reference but yesterday i tuned in for about 30 minutes to the the uh, the the grilling that went on of eternal attorney general william barr and i stayed as long as i could because it was disgusting I mean, it was such a lack of respect. All of those elected leaders were out to just defame, and they weren't there to hear him. They were there to try to accuse him and say all manner of evil against him. And it was painful to watch. And I, I watched as long as I could, and I couldn't, I couldn't stand it anymore. And so I just stopped and began to pray for our country. God, where is the respect? Where is the, uh, the, the way that we were raised to, to look to those who are in authority, which the Scripture speaks about? And this is just the way it is. It's wicked, it's evil, it's demonic. And if that happens on a political platform in this country, what do you think Satan and the enemy and those who follow him think about you? Now, I'm not glorifying the enemy. I'm not. I'm just reading the box score. This is what happens. You know, I remember many years ago when I began to warn my congregation as we were pressing into the, to the things in the heavens in prayer and in the study of the Word, and we began to be changed from a general church, which I was very much a part of and was trained in it, and, but it was when we began to make that leap toward being a servant of God instead of looking for him to serve us and calling it serving God, uh, there were people that didn't like it. In fact, I would warn people, and there was one guy who used to be on my board who was a friend who really turned and tried to instigate uh, a a real measure of insurrection on a number of occasions and he said that when I would warn people from the scripture that I was prophesying those things and welcoming the enemy do you know how crazy that is to quote the scripture to teach your people and warn them and say it would be like it would be like a parent when their child first starts driving and they say now look I don't want you drinking alcohol 
I don't I don't want you doing that anywhere to, to where you get drunk, but you stay away from those who are boozing it up, and especially if you're in that car and if you're behind the wheel, and then that child goes out and drinks or one of his buddies is drinking and they get in an accident and somebody said, see, you, you prophesied that to them. That's ridiculous, but that's what's said. And there were people who would believe it. So just makarios and remember that you are partnering with the ways of God and you don't like it. I don't want it, but you need to rejoice. Now, we come then to this passage that uh, was mentioned yesterday on Saints Radio. You are the salt of the earth, this verse 13, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto them that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Not long ago, we talked uh, about what the covenant of salt was in the Old Testament, and I believe that it wasn't simply a study point, even though we should do everything we can to understand what the Word of God says. But it is, it is a covenant of salt indicating kingly authority for the earth. And the, the kings of Israel partnered with the covenant of salt. So I know salt was, was used as a point of salary. I know that it was, an, it was a rare necessity. I know those things, how valued it was. But I believe that Jesus was telling them here right after he talks about this makarios and your responsibilities for upper level spiritual identity and service you need to remember that you are called in a covenant relationship with God to be kings and priests and prophets for him on this earth. Don't lose that savor. Don't lose that, that measure of um, working in the, um, um, in the mysteries of God. Because remember, this is this is foolishness this is moros if you lose it and the way you keep moving in the mysterion of god according to the scripture is you pray in the spirit you speak mysteries that's the word and this is a derivative of that word savor lost of lost savor and represent what god is doing represent that don't lose that because if you do why do you have authority and you'll lose that too. It, it will be good for nothing. That's an old Shakespearean phrase that came down to us through King James. And uh, it's found its way in our society. That good for nothing, whatever. You know, they, see that guy over there, you know, he's been living his life. It's just good for nothing. Now, that's a pejorative. You don't want to be saying that to people. But that's kind of an interesting thing that came out of the scripture uh, it came out of the translation of Scripture. Um, remember that you are the light of the world. 
a, a city that is Kami on uh, a mountain uh, cannot be put in a position where uh, your crypto is hidden. So what, what, what does he say there? Let's look at those three words. Because they're important to understanding what he really says. First of all, you have a covenant of authority for this earth. Stay in harmony with the commune with the Father according to his mysteries. Secondly, remember that you are a, um, you're a representation of the light, the truth of God. Um, and you're, you're shining that way in this world. You are, you are specifically positioned in, a, in your terio that uh, the Kami, remember the Kami is when you have accepted your role and responsibility and you've allowed it to be established and you hold on to that establishment. It's got an Old Testament word, sum, S-U-W-M, that is its same counter, it's, it's his counterpart. Um, and so um, we, we have to recognize that what we have been called to do is set in motion by God. We're representing his ways and his truth, and we need to stay with the program. We need to continue to be faithful, and we must, we must uh, recognize that through that, that hidden purpose that is placed there by God in all things, including in you, and including in the histemes of your terio, those things must not be hidden. They must be made manifest in God's timing and in what he wants to do and accomplish. This is all really a continuity. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And it says there's a difference here between being the light of the world and in an example, men do not light a candle. In the one place, in verse 14, Jesus is saying, you are the light of the whole world. You are a city that is Kamite on a, a, strategic, a strategic location, and, the, and the, the crypto of God is, is going to be shown. And then he says, even in this world, men do not light a candle and hide it under a bushel. They put it on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Now, a bushel there we've talked about is, is a tool of merchandising. It's business. And, you know, if you represent something, you don't allow anything in this life to hinder that. And... Um, you, his objective is to put that candle on the candlestick so that it can benefit those that are in the house. I can say so many things about this. I, I think that Jesus said what he said to tell us that we need to take very seriously our responsibilities in the spirit realm. And we dare not let anything from this life keep us from what our true purpose is regardless of what the temporal end game may be one of the most horrific verses that the apostle Paul wrote was he said Demas has forsaken me having 
invested his agape in the present world. Who would do that? What wickedness. What evil would allow us to be deceived to the point that we would forget about our Makarios position in the kingdom of God and our privilege of partnering with our Heavenly Father and forget about all the things that are our responsibility and service and to to then just um, give it up for something to do with this life. I know that's easier said and warned than carrying out. The enemy knows what your weaknesses are. He knows what hidden things uh, really are part of your ego. And he, he, he has their dossier. He knows how to throw things at you that he feels are difficult for you to resist. But I, I would encourage myself and everybody listening to take very seriously the privilege of being the light of the world wherein God has specifically assigned us so that his mysteries and his secrets invested in us and invested in the places where we serve and invested in his timetable and his eternal purpose that's our agenda and that that's going to be eternal and just remember it doesn't matter how many people think you sing and play great how many doors you open you marginalize yourself and you corrupt yourself in a few years they're not going to want to hear you. I mean, I remember hearing a song about by uh, by the group in the '70s, Bread. David Gates sang about the guitar, the guitar man, and he said, "Soon the lights begin to flicker and the crowds are growing slim. Your voice begins to falter. Is that is it worth it to abandon?" What you know God is really saying, you can convince yourself and delude yourself and let other people take the reins of what you need, know you should be doing. Wake up. Wake up and serve Him. So, and then the Lord says this. So, if you are the light of the world... Let your light shine before your before men that they may see your good works and really demonstrate the glory of your Father which is in heaven. And I mentioned yesterday in Saints Radio that good works is a really great term because uh, good is kalos, which is really referring to the essence of what God's purpose is. But works is ergon. And here's a, here's a definition. Did you know that there was an international ergonomics association, the IEA? Uh, ergonomics is a term that is used in a lot of ways 
to try to make life better, to inventively make things work better for you, to make things function more purely. So here's the definition of ergon or ergonomics coming from the Greek. Um, and the Greek is some old guy who lives in Athens who sits up on top of a hill. <laughs> I'm talking about the Greek language in New Testament Greek. But anyway, ergonomics is the scientific discipline concerned with the understanding of the interactions among humans and other elements of a system and the profession that applies theory, principles, data, and methods to design to optimize human well-being and overall system performance. Now, those are a lot of words. I'm going to read it again, and then we'll talk about that last short phrase. Ergonomics is the scientific discipline. So it's a discipline concerned with the understanding of the interactions among humans and elements of a system and the profession that applies theory or your agenda, principles, the way you go about that agenda, data, which is information in, and methods, which is what you put together to apply all those things, and they are designed to optimize human well-being integrated in the overall system performance. So what does that mean? Well, it's used in health and safety. It's used in um, muscular, musculoskeletal disorders. It's, it's, it's used to prevent preventative, repetitive strain injuries like carpal tunnel syndrome. Ergonomics all tries to help people um, flow better and do a job better and you know you can look in in the uh, in the modern encyclopedias and you see that there was a Polish scientist who used this words this word ergonomics really for the first time and then a Frenchman picked up on it as those French are well suited to do and they they really established this ergonomic society to try to make life better and to try to help humans function in a better way to where they're not wearing themselves out. This is the root word, ergon, according to the purpose of God, that we are to be applying so that our Father receives glory or that the mission and the assignment God's given to us will function in the way God ordains so that people will say, oh, that is wonderful. God is good. This is his plan. This is his way. So Jesus says people should see our good works. How do they see our good works? How? You know, you read that in English or French or Portuguese or Spanish or the new the NIV. <coughs> I'm joking. Uh, and, and you might think that that means, okay, I'm out at a soup kitchen or I'm down there working for the homeless or... You know, I'm out walking a protest line or I'm, you know, doing some good deed so that people will see my works and say, oh, that person must be in good standing with God. Blessed be God for what they've done. Well, you should be philanthropic and you should do good things, but that's not what Jesus was talking about here. 
It's not about philanthropy. It's not about benevolence. No matter how you want to stretch it. The whole theme of what... Think in context here. Don't roar this out and make it something that has to do with social order and injustice. What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus saying? You are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. And he goes through the litany of words of advice from the Son of God, the firstborn of many brethren, as to how you represent your Father on this earth. And then he says you are representing his light, and God has given you an assignment, and you came I to that assignment, and you don't let anything interfere with that, or at least you shouldn't. And then people will see that light, and they will be blessed by it. And so we then are, are going to do what, whatever we can to allow our Father to be glorified. Now we, are, we are going to um, we're going to let that light, the ways of God shine, and we are going to do His will increasingly, applying the principles we've learned, applying the the, the, the ways that we have uh, discovered how we must function to do things smoothly and efficiently, always listening to the Spirit as to um, how not to be, uh, be struggling or kicking against the ways God wants. Some people make working for God and serving Him too hard. You know, they, they just, they corrupt things because they just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And I'm not faulting making mistakes. What I'm faulting is not learning from your mistakes and doing the same thing over and over again. You know, I, I quote this every now and again because I remember Jack Hafer talking about a guy that um, would come to Jack as, as, as his pastor Jack was his pastor, and this guy would come for counsel. And he was always coming for counsel about the same thing. And the guy said, you know, I just keep messing up. And Jack said, no, you're not. You, you just keep sinning. You've not turned from that. So, you know, turn from your wicked ways and start doing them right. And, you know, lots of times I've heard people over the years who, who've had iniquity in their heart. They hide it behind mantles and anointings. And whenever something comes to them that they don't want to do, they'll cock their head back and put on a, a holy glow on their face. And they'll say, you know, God's told me not to do that. God's told me not to participate in this. And I know good. I knew good and well when I would hear this. No, God's not anywhere near this. Stop blaming him. You just don't want to do it. You're threatened by it. You're jealous. You, um, you feel weak in this, and you don't want anybody to recognize that you may have a, 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 an area that you're not as fast as somebody else. So you, you beg off and put on a holier-than-thou motto on your head and you say 
God told me not to do this. That's not ergon. That's not good works. That's you making it harder on you and everybody else. And it's just a pain to deal with you when you do that kind of stuff. That's not ergon. So you you got to, and I don't mean you just lay down and surrender to, to people so that things flow smoothly. We do that too often. I'm prone to do that, and I, I apologize because, you know, I just so often learned a long time ago to pick your battles, and sometimes it's just easier to let somebody do something wacky that's not going to hurt anybody than to, because if you confront them, you may make everybody else feel righteously satiated, but you're not going to change that person until they're ready to change. I admit that in pastoral political wisdom, I have tolerated stuff that I shouldn't have tolerated in people. But the essence of this is not as to whether I manage things the way that some more rigid-minded people thought, um, but it's that you want to do the works of God in an ergon way. And it's, the onus is upon you. Why is this thing so hard for me? What am I doing wrong that, um, that I need to correct? You know, I, I did this with my girls. And by the time you get grandchildren, usually you, you're a little more patient. I don't know why that is. It's just a fact of life. I didn't understand it when I was younger. And I wasn't mean with my girls. And they can testify to that. But, you know, I would... I would tell them, why do you keep doing this? Don't do that. You know, you keep, every time when you do it this way, you're going to spill that all over the place. Well, I see my granddaughters do things, and I don't yell at them. I, I, I don't. They're sweet. And I, I think, okay, something happens, and I've seen them do the thing two or three times. They're great kids. And I think, okay what when this happened what can you do not to let it happen again you know I'm not looking for I'm sorry I'm not looking for any of those other things I know you feel badly about it but at some point you're going to have to overcome this bit of clumsiness and apply ergon to the situation and and so that you don't make that mistake because it's embarrassing to you and it's wasteful and it creates a mess. So figure out what it is that you just keep doing and say, okay, I'm going to process this and I'm not going to do that anymore that way. That's a principle of ergon. And Jesus says this right at the end of this wonderful treatise and you know the point is is that we're going to sometimes when we're working the works of God most times when we're working the works of God it is a timely process which is why patience is the first sign of any apostolic pursuit that's what the word says Paul didn't say surely the works of the apostle were were done manifested in you in all dynamic power and fiery preaching and big crowds. No, he begins it by patience. 
He begins it by patience. And if you want to do anything um, for God in a, in a deeper and more profound level, you're going to recognize that it is a timely, it's, it's going to be a, a timely thing. And it's going to be time-consuming. And um, I, I, I just think that as we are doing this, God gives us the opportunity to fail. And you learn from your failures. And, and as a leader, in the times that I make mistakes, I try as quickly as I can to remedy those mistakes and to learn from them. And uh, this is this is really this is really an Im- an important thing. Um, I I just um, I just can't get away from this idea of how God wants us to be flowing smoothly and to moving smoothly uh, in the things that on this process in the processes that God brings us through that we need to to work in and so you know I you know I, I used to play a lot more sports when I was younger and you know it helps if you like the sport that you're working with and some of you shut me off right now maybe Maybe you didn't play sports, but I dare say some of you who didn't play sports are working out right now. And when you're working out, if you do something wrong and it hurts you or you do something wrong with your weights or whatever and, you know, it may be a danger to somebody else, they're not going to let you keep on doing that nonsense. They're going to they're gonna tell you, okay, when you press this, you do it this way. Otherwise, you're going to hurt your back. You're going to pull a muscle. You may drop this and break somebody's toe or worse. And maybe you need to be a little bit embarrassed. And you, you should say in your mind, okay, I'm not going to run away and quit and take my barbells and go home and weep and cry. Those mean people, they said something bad to me. No, you correct that so that you don't make that same mistake again. That's a process of ergon. And, you know, Jesus goes from this then to say, you know, even the prophets who went before you, those icons who, who served God admirably and made great strides forward in the kingdom that you are benefiting from, every one of them had to apply these same principles. So how do you think you don't have to? So I believe that there's a reason God spoke this prophetically. Um, I, I knew that this was what we needed to talk about today. I think the point is that the Spirit's saying He loves all of you. You are sons. You have assignments. Don't get bogged down by this chaotic world. Um, see what's going on, but makarios. And represent God. Expect there to be burdens and uh, warfare that comes. Um, I know that there's a lot of teaching that says Christians shouldn't be in spiritual warfare. Well, you're just as bad as those who try to rewrite Scripture. Scripture. 
because that is everywhere. It's, it's in so many places. Why do we need armor if we're not in warfare? Why do we fight a good fight of faith? Why do we wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, if you're not supposed to be battling? Some idiotist one time I heard teach about what Paul wrote, and he said, if Paul really had understood the words of faith that he was speaking, he wouldn't have had to go through any of those things. I'm not even going to comment on that, that nonsense. I know, and I, we don't go out looking for a fight, but we don't shirk from it, and we're prepared for it, if if need be. But the point, though, is that we need to be ergonomical. We need to we need to find a way for us in this human vessel to facilitate the will of our Father and to do things in the most seamless and fluid way and the most effective way as we possibly can. It really goes back to that uh, study to show yourself approved, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, I, in my life, I can do a lot of things, but, you know, work around the house, I can do a bunch of stuff but there are complicated things that I'm not skilled at and I don't have a desire to be skilled at it some guys in my church and people that I've met there I admire their handyman capabilities I have capabilities in other ways that I drive hard after you need me to do that but I find that it's a whole lot better for me to just ask somebody to come or hire somebody that actually knows ergonomically and experientially what needs to be done and how to do it. We should be that way in the spirit realm. We should be a workman in the kingdom that doesn't need to be ashamed. I mean, there's no shame in making a mistake as long as you learn from it and as long as you then determine that you're, you're going to become proficient in the thing that you failed in. Not from a prideful standpoint, but so that you can be useful and that you can be helpful. And, and I think that, and in fact, I know that this is one of the things that God has been working on us in this past season. Um, he's been working all these things that we've looked at in Matthew 5. But we're serving our Father, and His works must be done in the most ergonomic way as possible. So how do we apply this physical vessel and our calling into the work that needs to be done? How do we apply his principles? How do we apply his agenda? How do we apply his tools? How do we apply the, 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 uh, the pathway of work and the rigors of, of what the work of the ministry is in the most efficient way? This we must strive for. And it's possible. Otherwise, Jesus would not have said it. I want to be that way. How about you? So I speak blessing 
upon all of you. I speak Makarios blessing over you. And I speak all the other types of blessing in the scripture over you. That you, we all might serve God in the ways that he has desired for us to serve him. And um, I pray that you will read back over these verses and that you, you will make them a part, the operative part of your life. And I, I believe that as you do this, God's blessing is going to be so evident in the pathway that we're walking. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you will allow us to continue to walk um, nobly, passionately, devotedly as sons representing you. Let your word come alive in us, and may we be those good and faithful servants that you are relying upon in the kingdom. Let us be your sons. And I bless these saints. I ask you, Father, that if there is anything in their life that they're needing a divine intervention in, that that would be released to them now. I come against those things that that the enemy has tried to um, perhaps uh, attack with. I come against physical sickness. I come against fear. I continue to declare the blood of Jesus over all of us, and I release the fullness of the blessing of our God into every one of this saint's family who is listening to this message right now. May your spirit flood the place where they are um, spending time in the word with you. And I thank you for this, Father. Thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you. And I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful and wonderful name. Amen. Well, God bless all of you. Again, I remind you, please be in prayer for uh, the ministry to Brazil early Saturday morning. And don't forget that this coming Sunday, uh, the morning service, the main morning service, is back to its regular start time of 1030. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. God bless you.